Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you here again. Uh, again, I'm Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Today, I'm with Winston Cardwell. He is a naturopathic physician uh, as well as a licensed acupuncturist practicing in Atlanta, Georgia. Winston and I go way back, and I'm delighted to be talking with him today. Um, he is a treasure trove of knowledge. He's been sort of in the trenches, you know, working with patients directly for his entire career. We actually both graduated together from National College of Naturopathic Medicine. Uh, Dr. Cardwell has received extensive training in integrative oncology, uh, integrative cardiology, uh, environmental medicine, and we'll be picking his brain around environmental medicine uh, today. He founded Atlanta Integrative Medicine in Roswell, Georgia, where he practices with Dr. Forrest Smith. Uh, in his practice, he focuses generally on naturopathic oncology as well as difficult-to-treat chronic illnesses. Um, so again, today we're going to be picking his brain with regard to environmental medicine. Uh, and, you know, of course, toxins impact the disease, any disease process. So he's focusing on this in his practice quite a bit. Uh, he's one of, my, um, one of my tribe members, one of the folks that I reach out to when I have a tough case or want to share some, some new research uh, with other clinicians in the field. So it's, it's fun that I get to be with him today. Um, our topic is, Winston, we're talking about indoor air pollution today, um, how the effect of indoor air pollution, what kind of toxins we're encountering in the air, um, as well as how we evaluate for it, and we'll spend a good bit of time on remediation, you know, really where the rubber meets the road, how we help ourselves, our family, um, as well as our patients to turn this big issue around. I just want to give a little bit of background and then we'll jump in. I, I did some research looking at the, um, some data that was released around this time last year from the World Health Organization, and they actually cite that about 7 million premature deaths um, annually are linked to air pollution, both indoor and outdoor. Uh, and they say that this figure was very, was startling to them, unexpected, but, you know, their analytical technology has improved, so they're able to pick it up. Um, you know, in your experience, Winston, what are you seeing with regard to uh, indoor air pollution, you know, being an issue in your patient population? Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And, and regarding uh, what we see, a lot of uh, the problems, uh, particularly in the southeast, but certainly not limited to this area, are uh, often related to uh, solvents and uh, other uh, biological agents like mold that are either known or, or unknown to the individual that can impact a number of different aspects of the, the individual's health, whether it be neurologic, uh, immunologic, psych, uh, psychiatric. There's just a, a wide range of symptoms that can come from uh, these things. Most people think of respiratory problems, which are also a big issue as well, and uh, it just varies from uh, family to family in the house, uh, the uh, apartment that they're staying in. Depending on what uh, what is in the house, we, we see a, a wide variety of, of those uh, type of symptoms and those systems affected, but at the same time, uh, it's, it doesn't always affect everybody the same, and that's one of the most difficult aspects of it is, is the question always arises, why does my son have these symptoms and my 
itself, my husband uh, doesn't. You know, where where are the uh, where where why does no one else have the uh, problem that we're seeing here? And that is being answered very rapidly now with the Human Genome Project being completed and let having me, more. Let me let me. Ba- I'm so sorry to interrupt you because th- that's an incredibly po- uh, important topic, and I want to get back to it. Why does my why is my son sick, but I'm not sick, and my daughter's not sick, or you know my husband might be mildly sick. So we want to get back to that. You know sure. the, the the impact of the genome. But first, let's back way up and talk about some common sources of indoor air pollution. You've named a couple, but I want to just pick your brain. So what are you seeing? So we see the the biggest ones that, that uh, like I said earlier, are, are things along the lines of uh, – whether it be pesticides, herbicides, things are, are knowingly applied within the house from uh, your, your exterminator or, or the uh, individuals uh, that live in the house uh, to things like um, your fragrance, your Glade plug-ins, for example, or the little incense-looking sticks that stick out of the oil um, that's scented, and, and everyone wants to have a, smesh, a fresh-smelling house, and the problem is, is that those are all solvents and those are, are known neurotoxins and they also have a, a, a significant impact on respiratory issues. The other things that we're seeing, seeing as I said is the mold problems and that's not just the visible mold growth but it's the mold spores uh, that we all are familiar with the allergy aspect of that but there's much much more to it than just a, a plain allergy. Most individuals are uh, when they're suffering from mold or not suffering from the actual allergy, they're suffering from the uh, toxins the, that are produced by the mold that are, are volatile. They go into the air and we breathe them. They are, can pretty much penetrate just about anything. So having a, uh, a basement that's isolated or that back room has got mold growth but we keep the door shut, uh, those kind of things don't make a difference uh, really whatsoever in that aspect. And then there's the, also the particles of the mold um, that are airborne that uh, cause some significant immune uh, stimulation and uh, dysregulation. And so that's one of the problems with the testing aspect is that a lot of the um, the mold plates that are used for culturing or the, um, the indoor um, uh, suction devices that are, are filtering the air itself are looking for actual mold uh, spores and mold uh, things to grow, but that doesn't include the particles that are uh, involved and that are in the air as well. And so, so that's me, commonly missed. Um, well, let me ask There are a lot of other things that we don't think about that are also ubiquitous in the uh, American household and, and really around the globe now, the, the um, fluorescent uh, light bulbs that are the compact fluorescent CFLs, the little swirly light bulbs that are wonderful for saving and reducing energy, uh, the downside is, is that they're loaded with mercury. And we uh, will see somebody that, that will break one. Uh, they're easy to break, and, and as, as all light bulbs are. And uh, what is commonly done is, is the uh, individual will just vacuum up the glass and uh, the particles on the floor, and then that all goes into the vacuum cleaner, and then every time the vacuum is run, it is redistributing mercury into the air that then we breathe and uh, absorb through the skin. Um, candle wicks, for example, that uh, have lead in them that are used to keep the candle wick straight when the um, wax is poured around it. Uh, when those are burned, the lead goes into the air, and we breathe that in and absorb it very easily and very well um, uh, through that 
exposure. And there are problems with the uh, a lot of the cooking ware as well as the uh, plate and dinnerware that we use that are loaded with heavy metals. Uh, it's astounding to see what we uh, find in the individuals' homes when we're doing a evaluation for heavy metals like that and, and things that are used every day and they're um, not limited to other countries. Um, a lot of uh, times we hear about China and Mexico having uh, most of the problems, but that's by no means um, the, the rule. It, it can come from any country, including our own, and it uh, is not enough just to um, you know, judge the plate by the origin, uh, uh, country of right. origin. Right, right, right. I just want to throw out there, you know, I think you, you know, you alluded to this as in your in your roundup list here, but you know, carpets, the various cleaners that we're using, even, I mean, in the news lately has been the whole um, lumber liquidators or whatever the name of that company Correct. is, where they found massive amounts of formaldehyde in some of their um, some of their flooring. I, I, thank God they've identified it, but that would be uh, obviously another really important source. Um, okay, so now why don't you just give me an overview of symptoms uh, and disease associations that you might see with these myriad um, exposures? Sure. So there, obviously there are definitely some associations with different chemicals and, and substances with particular uh, or common symptom presentations, but they really, as I said earlier, can vary widely, and they can be from uh, general constitutional symptoms, things that uh, you hear all the time, fatigue, um, just not feeling like you've got the energy that uh, you once had at one point in your life, to um, flushing of the of the face or the chest or the ears um, out of nowhere. The mm-hmm. um, sometimes we'll see fevers with that, or, or, or just feeling hot uh, in general. We'll see increase in uh, perspiration or sometimes even a decrease in perspiration. Um, But then you have more of the specific systems involved, uh, anywhere from the neurologic uh, symptoms like headaches, um, uh, cluster headaches, migraine headaches, uh, just about every kind of of headache you can think of can be triggered by a lot of these things. Uh, You can also see the uh, psychological aspect be affected as well from uh, memory to uh, regarding recall or word searching or just um, flat out short term long term memory reduction uh, across the board. We can see um, more uh, profound neurologic problems. Parkinson's disease has been associated with a number of these items. Uh, multiple sclerosis has, in, in some situations, as has ALS. So those are ones that we hear about and we're familiar with, um, but very rarely do we associate those with uh, solvent exposures or, or other um, problems. But then in the respiratory, you can have uh, asthma, you can have chronic coughs, you can have uh, people that are, are short of breath or they uh, have something we call air hunger where their lung function is fine. When they go to the pulmonologist, everything checks out okay, uh, but they still have the sensation that they can't get their breath and it's, it's uh, literally air hunger. And um, that's something that, that is really common in, in a lot of our patients. Um, and then we can see things like the uh, uh, hormonal uh, changes and influences uh, or, or influence the hormonal production. Uh, there are uh, well-known and documented associations with a lot of these chemicals and their impact on estrogen metabolism and, and testosterone and 
that's a big focus of, of a lot of our practices is, is hormone management, and uh, we can see it affect the, the thyroid as well, and that's something that has skyrocketed in incidents over the past couple decades. Um, just about everybody over 40 um, has some uh, sort of thyroid uh, issue, and we're starting to see it a lot more in kids now. And so mm-hmm. uh, we check a lot of, of our pediatric patients for thyroid uh, as part of the full workup and screening uh, that we do at our office, and, and a lot of our colleagues around the uh, globe are doing that now as well. Um, but then more more commonly in, in our, our office, we will see immunologic problems, uh, whether they be chronic sinusitis, chronic uh, colds or flus uh, that are just so easy to catch. Everybody else around them is, is sick, and uh, they look at somebody who's sick, and then they all, you know, they all of a sudden are, are sick. And it can last for, for weeks uh, and months versus uh, four or five days uh, with the uh, uh, immunotypical individual. The mm-hmm. Um, issues with autoimmunity uh, are, are increased, whether that be things like the autoimmune thyroid problems to other autoimmune diseases uh, that, that uh, is also on the rise uh, around the globe too. And then certainly heart uh, issues. We see uh, an increase in, in blood pressure. We can see an increase in uh, atherosclerosis and uh, obviously the end result being an increase in, in heart attack. Um, uh, but it can be more 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 subtle in the form of of angina, just the the, the tightening of the blood vessels and restricting the flow to the heart that uh, gives this just the symptom of chest pain. And same thing, go to the doctor and everything is okay and checks out, um, but the uh, the the symptom still remains. And then uh, lastly, things like cancer, um, whether it be um, blood cancers, uh, leukemias, lymphomas, myeloma. We also see with things. Uh, breast cancer, colon cancer, gallbladder uh, cancer is a good example because that is on the rise uh, dramatically over the past couple decades, and that's uh, believed to be associated with the toxins that we're uh, body is trying to get rid of going okay. through the biliary tree and out uh, through the gallbladder, and so that's a, another concern. So I just I think that you mentioned you know when you were talking about um, endocrine effects, just this refractory um, weight that we're seeing, weight loss resistance, obesity, anywhere on the metabolic continuum from um, metabolic syndrome to full-on diabetes, I know has a strong association with toxic exposures. Uh, so basically, Dr. Cardwell, any any of the conditions, really any of the, the conditions we're seeing commonly in our practice have... Um, as one of the components of the cause of the of the condition, toxic exposures. Um, I, you know, and I also want to point out, Dr. Cardwell sent me this great overview that he wrote for our interview, and one of the things he mentioned at the beginning, I wanted to hit home, is the fact that there's a synergistic effect, you know, among all these toxins. So it doesn't necessarily take a you know, a, a, a profound exposure of one toxin to get sick. It can be multiple low-grade exposures over time. Is that correct? Exactly. And we see that uh, with heavy metals. We see that with uh, all of these chemicals. And the, uh, the, the, there really hasn't been any uh, or very few studies, uh, if any, on the, the combined effect of these chemicals. When we uh, have these chemicals that are, are newly produced, uh, they're, sometimes they're tested, uh, more often than not they're not, but they're never tested for their combined effect with other chemicals that are commonly found in the household. 
so the most well-known is, is the uh, com- combination of bleach with regular dish soap. Uh, if anybody's ever seen that done, it's, it's pretty pretty scary because it <laughs> foams mm-hmm. up and uh, steams up really quick and produces a very toxic gas uh, that that's, uh, Im- immediately um, uh, can, can shut one's breathing um, uh, ability down. But it's it's a big problem um, uh, across the board, and, and we just have absolutely no idea uh, where to even start with this because it's it, there's just so many chemicals out in the world now uh, that weren't around in our in our grandparent and great grandparents' uh, lifetime. Yeah, well, you know, you say that we don't have anywhere to start, but the fact of the matter is you're doing a lot already, and I'm going to pick your brain around that in a minute. I know that you're doing a tremendous service to your patients. In fact, I think anybody in functional medicine. Is, is helping, and we'll talk about, you know, as we get into the interventions, you know, you'll see why. Um, our listeners will see why. But I, I, I just want to back up a minute. You've outlined, um, you know, symptoms, signs, symptoms, disease states resultant from toxin exposures. But, you know, when a patient presents to you in your office, I mean, everybody's presenting with fatigue. Everybody, you know, has headaches cognitive, all of these things are really rather common. These are common present presentations. Exactly. So what, but what flags you when you're thinking about the underlying causes of somebody's condition? What flags you that environment is going to be a very large area of focus? a great question and it's and it's uh one that that is by no means a uh a, a one size fits all or, or a, a specific protocol it's uh a lot of it's through through the training that i received in school and through walter crinian uh, he's kind of the grandfather of the environmental medicine and naturopathic world and the way that we start with all of our new patients off is an environmental questionnaire that is about a 60 question survey that patients complete and it's anywhere from uh, questions about their um, exposures specifically uh, as well as to symptoms and and then symptoms uh, with uh, exposures to to chemicals. So one of the questions that I always ask is how do you feel when you walk down the aisle in the grocery store uh, where the, the detergents are because as we all know that's a very fragrant aisle um, and specifically other other fragrant items are, are kept in that area to keep the, the smell from getting into the food. And typically uh, when patients says that I can't stand that aisle or every time I go down that aisle I feel funny, um, that's a starting place as, as an indication that often they're either uh, body's uh, detoxification pathways uh, in the liver and in the, on the cellular level are maxed out and they just are not able to keep up with it or there are some genetic differences in the individual um, and uh, or, or, or both, of course. Um, but there's also a lot of a lot of things that we uh, will pick up in the interview that they only have a headache in a certain situation or setting or they'll um, have a respiratory symptom in a, in a, in a particular uh, room or, or they'd be sick at the house, but they're fine at work. So there's a lot of little things like that that, that uh, would not come out in a 10-minute intake. So all of our new patients uh, we spend two hours with and get a lot of information that would seem to be somewhat silly or, or, or um, uh, 
not really related to why they came to the office in the first place. However, when we put all of that together, it, it creates uh, quite a picture uh, that the functional medicine world has, has been doing for a while now um, by looking at a number of different systems. And this is just an, a, a, an extension of that or an example of that uh, mm-hmm. way that we, we uh, assess. Great. Thank you so much. Yep. Um, so what now how might you um you've got somebody that you suspect you know from your history i know that you do an environmental medicine intake so you know mm-hmm. if their home is old if it's new if they have carpeting you know what you know what year it was built and whether or not they might have have some res- residual lead paint etc i know that you drill down to that level um having you know just worked with you uh for so many years but um you know, once you've done that, so once you've once you've determined that there is a body burden, uh, how do you um, how do you evaluate for that? And I want you to be specific. Um, actually, you know what? I just want to say this little anecdote that I thought of when you were talking about the Glade plugins. When I was when I was at the laboratory and we were first developing the organotoxin testing, the solvents and you know PCBs and you know VOCs, et cetera. When we were developing mm-hmm. that testing, one of the guys in our shipping department, and we all we all submitted our urine, and one of the guys in the shipping department had um, had an incredible amount of. Uh, solvent in his urine, just an incredible amount. And he later admitted that they had they had just started with a Glade plug-in at the house. And he was off the wow. chart in with the compound in his urine. Yeah. And similarly, I had a um, one of my most allergic patients, uh, challenging, was a physical therapist or is a physical therapist who was using a triclosan containing toothpaste as well as a hand sanitizer. And he, so he was sanitizing his hands between every patient as a physical therapist, and he had ginormous amounts of triclosan uh, in his urine, well above the 95th. And this is, you know, this is a guy just doing his job, you know, brushing his teeth, you know, sanitizing his hands between patients. Um, but I want to talk to you about how you're evaluating these folks. Um, you know, looking at, you mentioned molds, you're men- you've mentioned um, organotoxins, you've mentioned uh, heavy metals, so... What are some of the ways you're doing that? That's uh, a great question. Uh, and uh, there are, uh, as, as you know, uh, the uh, Metametrics uh, had produced a number of different uh, panels that are, are very helpful with identifying both from a functional perspective what the need is. And so a lot of times with uh, patients that come to our office with a lot of um, nebulous symptoms like all the ones we described, there often will be a, a core focus of, of the visit and, and that uh, we'll spend our, more of our time uh, assessing and looking into, but a lot of times a lot of the, the ancillary symptoms that are not necessarily seemingly related to the, the main complaint uh, will be pulled out and teased out through some of the labs that we run. So we certainly use a lot of the basic ones that uh, anywhere from a a CBC and a CMP and you're um, looking at at cholesterol levels, looking at uh, thyroid function, all of those things that that everybody does that uh, obviously need to be addressed if those are off. Um, But more uh, in the functional sense, we'll use an organic acid panel that is full of a lot of very helpful information that gives us a great starting place on where to support the body. And 
that from a, a metabolic perspective is is really a great starting place for uh, a case that you really have no idea where to start even um, mm-hmm. because there's so many different areas of focus. So we look at um, orotate and glucurate production. We look at methyl hippurate uh, in, in the urine. Uh, all of these are urine tests um, in that panel. We look at uh, sulfate production, um, hydroxybutyrate, all, all of the, the, the uh, areas that, that uh, are, are involved with the body's uh, elimination, excretion of these um, chemicals, and, and uh, we then, uh, if we have more of a, a specific area of concern uh, that a lot of times will be pulled out and teased out by the individual symptoms, we'll look at the uh, toxic core panel that uh, also is, is available and created was created by Metametrics, now available through Genova, that has a, uh, a broad array of um, information in there from anywhere from phthalates, uh, BPA, uh, organo, and uh, chlorine, phosphate, um, pesticides. Uh, there's just there's so many areas that, that uh, are available now for us to use and to benefit us. Um, and then take all of that information with the history and with their their uh, standard labs and and piece together a puzzle that oftentimes can be um, incredibly revealing and and uh, fascinating to see how it unfolds and in, in uh, from a lab perspective and it's a it's a, a wonderful tool to also help the the patient and their family understand why they're feeling the way that they're feeling and um, that there are actionable uh, areas that that we can do to improve them. So I just wanted to back up for any regular person listening who might not be familiar (laughs) with uh, the organic acid testing. What Dr. Cardwell is doing is looking at compounds that are produced by the liver um, in the liver's attempt to detox uh, from these various um, toxic exposures. So, for instance, 2-methylhippurate that he mentioned, that is a N-metabolite of um, petroleum exposure. So anywhere from the petroleum in your carpet to the petroleum in pollution in, you know, outdoor air, gasoline, et cetera, there's a whole, um, there's a whole number of ways we get, we produce, um, we're exposed to the, to the petroleum compound called xylene, which is then um, metabolized to 2-methylhippurate. And so that's what, that's what Dr. Cardwell is looking at in the urine. Now, I know you do heavy metal testing via, you know, probably urine, blood, and, you know, maybe other, other um, specimen as well. But I want to ask you um, about how you're assessing the mold burden. So you mentioned in your, in your intro, intro that um, – uh, that you so you mentioned in your intro, Winston, that you know you can't just simply shut the basement door, or you can't just simply shut the bedroom door in the you know the smelly room. Um, that those particles are still in the ambient air. So you said that. You also said that mold plates, which people buy at Home Depot, Lowe's, etc., to measure the amount of molds in the home won't necessarily capture these particulates. And I actually use mold plates in my practice all the time. I have that as a very, you know, a reasonably cheap starting point for a lot of my patients. Or even if you have somebody come in and assess and, you know, take air samples, they might still miss these particulates. So when you're thinking mold is an issue, how are you measuring mold or mycotoxins in the body? Great question, and 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 I agree. The the mold plates are often uh, a great, uh, inexpensive way to get started with 
um, just the, the the realization that there may be something going on. And uh, one of my my friends uh, told me that one of the things that he did when he moved into a new house is he would just go buy the, some mold plates, put them out, and let them uh, sit for a, a day or so, and then put them in a warm area and uh, then just take a look and see what is growing on there uh, a couple of days later. So that's not even with microscopic evaluation. So they can be very simple and, and helpful uh, when, when you're looking at it. But the problem um, that, that we were talking about in regards to the missing the particulate as well as is the uh, volatile organic compounds that are produced by the mycotoxin or, or that are produced by the mold that are called mycotoxins, um, those are those are much harder to to uh, pick up, and so one of the ways that we assess for that, and 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 the, in my opinion, the best, and and I have to uh, give credit to Richie Shoemaker, who is is the godfather of the mold um, research world, and has been uh, an incredible uh, benefit to. Uh, the the uh, progression of of knowledge in in a very specific scientific rigorous uh, way he um, was the one who turned me on to the uh, the environmental uh, readiness mold index which is a um, term that was developed by the the EPA as a way to quantify what how how sick a building was uh, from mold and the difference in this test is it's basically it's a DNA test uh, looking at a genetic material of different molds as opposed to seeing what grows in the, the petri dish so it's much more sensitive to picking up things that are even not growing or that were growing um, that are not you know they're no longer in the house um, and there are a wide uh, array of, of companies that do offer this there are a few that uh, seem to be time and time again more um, consistent and, and uh, accurate with the uh, the results. But that's that's the most common area that we start, and it's a it's a home kit. You call the companies, and they will mail the uh, the, the collection uh, to you. It's basically it's either one of two things: a, a big swab where you wipe underneath the bed or on the uh, door jam places where that are not commonly um, dusted or, or, or cleaned. Uh, or if you have carpet, you uh, basically put something over the tip of a vacuum and uh, vacuum over an area for a period of time. And that is is the best way to get an idea of what you've got going on in the house and in regards to give me, the give me that, particulates. Give me that name again, please. It's called, it, a lot of people will refer to it as the ERMI test. So it's E-R-M-I. And how are um, clinicians going to find that test? Uh, good question. We use a company called Mycometrics, and that is the one that Dr. Shoemaker has vetted over the years and uh, has found to be the most reliable and uh, consistent with what he's uh, been finding, and that's been my experience as well. We have tried a few other companies, and we have patients that have come in with other companies' results uh, that they got on their own, and some of them are, are, are consistent with what we find, and some of them just don't seem right. We'll run the uh, ERMI tests through the uh, micrometrics and, and find quite a bit more that, than what was found on the initial um, uh, panel. So they're a, a great, great uh, uh, support for, for the uh, identification of, of what may be going on in the house. Can uh, consumers order this themselves or mm -hmm. does it need to be ordered? Okay, so a clinician does not have to order this. That's correct, yes. 
Okay. So how are you measuring, once you suspect somebody has a mold, a physiologic mold burden, how are you assessing that? Are you looking at um, mold allergies? Are you looking at the presence of mycotoxins in the urine, something else? What are you doing there? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and there, because of the uh, genetic difference that, that I guess we'll get to in a minute, but the, uh, because of that, the, it, it does show up in different ways in different individuals. And so there are the, um, uh, the areas that, that depending on, on what the symptoms are or um, what, what we suspect may be going on that we will look a little bit more in, in one area or another. But um, we do obviously see mold allergies, just the basic IgE response that is uh, most people are familiar with the, you know, the peanut allergy and the, the allergic reaction that comes from that. Um, and that is a, uh, uh, an area that we will often start, start with um, because it's, it's, it's so easy to identify and readily available through your conventional labs. And that is, uh, it will either do a mold allergy panel through a, a lab like LabCorp or Quest, and that's an IgE-based panel, um, or, or more commonly, I'll run a quantitative IgE or total IgE and see if that's elevated at all. And if it's not elevated at all, there's generally no reason to go into more specifics of the IgE um, uh, for, for mold themselves. But that, that is something that we do look at. We look at um, eosinophils on the on a CBC. If those are elevated, that will give us an indication there might be some allergies, but there's other things that will affect that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once we when we dive into that, there are the... Um, uh, labs that uh, are, are involved with inflammatory responses. So we'll look at things like uh, TGF-beta-1 or MMP9, uh, things that, that uh, are in, involved with inflammation, tissue repair, tissue destruction. Um, we'll look at uh, uh, other hormones that can be affected by the, the mold. So uh, one of the common ones is uh, antidiuretic hormone, ADH, that will affect the uh, individual's ability to keep urine or, or fluid inside the body. So when we hear somebody that has a uh, mold exposure or we suspect that, um, for example, and uh, they're all the, going to the bathroom all the time, we'll take a look at that and see if that is uh, depleted. And, and if so, it's, it's one of the areas that uh, can be commonly supported and supplemented with, uh, in essence, bioidentical hormone replacement that uh, can make a huge difference in one's individ- uh, individual ability to heal. If you're not sleeping, you're getting up to go to the bathroom all night, then um, uh, you're not going to repair your body. And so that, that's a, a big one that can be really helpful. But we look at also things, um, like you mentioned earlier, the um, urine test for mycotoxins. There are, uh, is a company that will test for that, that um, unfortunately this time it's only limited to three mycotoxins uh, that uh, are, are the most common, but there are, are many, many other ones that are also potentially um, uh, produced by the different molds and things that um, we're exposed to. So there is a wide, wide variety of, of um, uh, uh, lab assessment that can be done that are more, in this sense, functional. What it, how is, how is this being affect, or how is this affecting the individual? Um, and uh, what, what are we, what are we seeing in regards to their, their particular symptom presentation? Yeah. So let me ask you, because we could spend the rest of our conversation talking about diagnostics <laughs> with regard to mold toxicity. Sure. Um, if you, if if you're, if the ERMI test is negative and they've run it through mycometrics, 
uh, and they've done the um, they've run the test appropriately, they've collected the specimen appropriately, and it's negative. Um, and you well, let's say it's negative in the home and it's negative in the workplace. So if they get mm -hmm. a clean mold exposure bill through the ERMI test, then um, do you think that that's adequate to rule out mold as an issue? That's another wonderful question, and it, uh, no, it's not. The, the problem with the mycotoxins and the mold exposure itself is, is that it, our body doesn't excrete these things well at all. Mm -hmm. And so you can have an exposure five, ten years uh, or even longer um, back that uh, does not change uh, because our, uh, the enterohepatic recirculation that we have uh, when our, our 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 liver and gallbladder tries to excrete toxins that then go through the intestines, um, and then unfortunately those are very easily reabsorbed in the uh, large intestine and lower part of the small intestine that then go back into circulation back to to the liver. So they in essence just keep going around in a circle, and we don't get rid of them. And so that oh. is something that we do you know look into as far as their previous exposures as well. Okay, and then. Um so what kind of a presentation might flag you to a past history of mold exposure? What might get you moving in that direction? Because I know you're using the Shoemaker protocol for working people up, and you should mm -hmm. mention his book and maybe, you know, and I want you to mention some of the DNA analysis just so that we can complete this. But um, what's going to flag you to past mold exposure as a significant issue underlying their, you know, presenting complaints. Really, it's 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 most commonly people are familiar with it, and and I I grew up as I think all of us did with uh, you know there's a little mildew here, a little mildew there, and you you wipe it up and you clean it up, and it's it's no big deal. But most uh, individuals will mention that uh, they have you know they they grew up in a moldy house or or you know, they, they lived in an apartment that had uh, water damage. So those are probably the most uh, common questions that, that we use to tease that information out is have there ever been any leaks. Uh, in the house, as the, as the roof leaked, has the water heater broken down and flooded the basement? Has the basement had any flooding? Has there been okay. any marks on the walls? Um, and what we often, you know, see as a small presentation on the on the sheetrock from the ceiling, um, or or uh, you know, in the basement, um, the, you know, a little bit maybe growing around the walls or something. Um, that's just that's literally the the tip of the proverbial iceberg. Um, so okay. it can be much more um, uh, expansive. But they can have had this – so I, I have a patient whose um, mycotoxin, urine mycotoxin panel came back positive from real-time labs, and, you mm -hmm. know, we've investigated the home. and You know, we've just done some work around figuring out where uh, her current exposures could be, and so far we're coming up empty. Um, you know, we can keep looking. But she does have a history when she's she, – this is a – um, 25 year old woman about I don't have her chart in front of me but she does have a history of having um, been schooled in one of those outdoor um, accessory buildings you know an extra building when yeah. the school is getting full and there was and, and that building did smell like mold but we're going back to you know sixth grade um, yeah. but that could but when I that could be her exposure source and that could be contributing to her current complaints Right. It could, yeah, absolutely, saying? absolutely. Okay. 
and okay. then a lot of times is, is is things that we don't think about, like the car. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've yep. found a number of patients that have had serious mold infestations in their car, and every time that they get in there, they're re-exposed to it. Or uh, old books that were given from grandma um, that we don't want to get away, get get rid of because they came from grandma, but that they were pulled from a moldy basement, or 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 not even. They just any any cellulose material um, mold will grow on. So. Okay. Um, it's 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 so easy to to transport. All right, I so I want to move over to what our action plan and what we do, so people don't leave, so people don't leave this conversation, um, <laughs> you know, needing Gloom to hit and the, doom. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But before I do, do you want to mention any uh, sources for further education um, and training? So where would if somebody need, wants to chase this down and really learn how to evaluate and treat mold effectively, where would you um, direct them? I, well, I think uh, right now probably the the most uh, comprehensive and and um, effective approach is is through the shoemaker protocol, and he uh, unfortunately retired a few years ago, but wonderfully uh, generous of him, he has uh, opted to to teach other physicians how to identify and to um, eradicate and treat mold in the individual. And so it's uh, a, a training program that he, he uh, does from a, a distance, and then you um, ultimately do a one-on-one work with him. And it's uh, his website is called survivingmold.com, and there's a, a treasure trove of information there. Um, there are plenty other individuals that also have a, uh, a number of uh, exp- or, or, um, tools uh, in their in their toolbox to uh, treat this, and um, from the naturopathic perspective, as, as well as from the um, more conventional uh, angle that Dr. Shoemaker takes. So those are. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, areas out there, but I would say that Dr. Shoemaker would be the, the easiest and most uh, significant go-to for that. Okay, great. And he also published in Mold, Mold Warriors, and so that's a book that people could mm-hmm. access, right? Exactly. Okay. All right, thanks so much. And we'll come back. Mm-hmm. If anybody's listening to this and has questions regarding the, um, the genetics that, that Dr. Cardwell mentioned, post a comment, and I will... Uh, tap him to respond, but 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 I really want to move into the you know the allow the sun to start shining with regard to <laughs> <laughs> with regard to what we're going to do. So we all have a toxic burden as clinicians. We need to figure out what that is, um, but we're going to be advising our patients on how to take care of themselves. So let's start start really foundationally. And and we've been you know we this conversation today is about indoor air pollution. So let's start foundationally around, first, what we can do um, in the home, and then second, I want to talk about, you know, what the patient can do themselves, what they might be eating, what nutrients, et cetera. So first, what are we doing, what are we advising for the individual to do in their home? Sure. So the the main principle of toxicology and environmental medicine is to to first uh, identify and remove the, the source. And so... Um, that is is uh, very easily said and, and uh, certainly uh, more difficult now because of the ubiquitous nature of these chemicals in our building supplies in the um, carpet and uh, with the more energy efficient homes that we have uh, they're sealed much tighter to so save us, us money. Give us the low hanging fruit, Dr. Cardwell. Yeah, 
All right. So <laughs> the the uh, the the main areas that that we would want to work on is 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 looking at from a from a in, internal uh, within the house approach is to reduce what what is producing this stuff. So the um, the from the, the the solvent aspect, looking at uh, getting um, Glade uh, or the plugins and getting any kind of uh, fragrance out of the house, and that doesn't mean that you can't have anything that smells good, but using uh, food grade essential oils as opposed to uh, things that say that have the term fragrance on there, and that's being your personal care products to uh, scents that are used for air fresheners uh, and, and uh, animal uh, uh, for air fresheners um, or deodorizers. I mean, the other thing is to is to um, pull out the carpet. The carpet is a, a tremendous um, reservoir of both its own chemicals, um, and it, it, uh, when new carpets are placed, they they off gas for. Uh, years, uh, a significant wow. amount of, of uh, chemicals, but even worse is the glue underneath it. So if you do have to have carpet put in the house, be sure that you're using uh, wool, the natural carpet, and, and uh, ensure that glue is not used under the carpet. Okay. Um, there um, are things. All right. So so I just want to summarize. Yep. Get, get any fake smell out, be it, <laughs> yeah. be it, be it personal care. Or I have to say that I just accidentally – Purchased some cat litter that has this horrific deodorizer, and we and we put we used it once, and it you know it's out because it's so it's just such a fake and disgusting smell. But um, so get fake chemicals out or fake fake fragrances out. Um, and I know that you're huge on um, uh, safe uh, cleaners as well. What what's your go-to company for soap for dishwashing detergent for um, you know, laundry detergent, et cetera, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, uh, we I like seventh generation free and clear. Um, uh, the, the brand is seventh generation. The, the, okay. um, the I guess the option is free and clear, and that's they provide just about everything you can think of from dish soap to dishwasher soap to um, uh, la- laundry um, dryer sheets, uh, all, oh. all kinds of things that um, you know where a lot of people have a hard time letting go of. So that's a, a great um, resource for that aspect. And now you've said so. So your opinion is carpets are pretty much out um, unless you get a natural fiber carpet. Those are safe, you say? Well, yes and no. The, the problem with the carpets is is that that they they hold dust, and dust is when study after study has shown that dust is is the the vector, the vehicle for a lot of these chemicals to ride on. And so whenever okay. we vacuum, that dust gets uh, into the air. We breathe that, and so the the carpets just they they house that. And no matter how good your vacuum cleaner is. Um, you can't get that stuff out. And so while I'm mentioning that, I should say that if you do have a vacuum cleaner, be sure to use uh, have one that has a HEPA filter on there and to change the bag regularly so that you're not recyc- recirculating all those things that you're um, vacuuming up. Okay, thanks. Those are great doable um, uh, changes, I think, that we can make, uh, particularly all the household goods and cleaners, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know that, you know, we just mentioned the liquid lumber liquidators or whatever they're Mm -hmm. called, and they're formaldehyde-laden flooring. Are there any good flooring brands that jump to mind, or is this something that people are going to just have to research locally? 
Well, there's certainly the, just the old-fashioned solid wood. Uh, unfortunately, that's, that's costly, and it's also not environmentally friendly in the sense of the deforestation aspect. Um, but there are uh, some that are more um, uh, that are safer in general, and, and a lot of that you have to, to drill down to the individual product, and it's not necessarily something that is company-wide. So the lumber liquidators, uh, you know, they've get, gotten a black eye, unfortunately, from, from the uh, incident that you mentioned. However, they do carry a number of other products that do have lo- much lower and uh, even some with very uh, no chemicals in them. Oh, they do. Okay, that's but good. Okay. My, my go-to for that, though, is a, um, a wonderful company. I believe they're in Colorado, um, but it is called the Green Building Supply. And there are a wealth of information on uh, a lot of this, and they also supply just about every kind of building, uh, new 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 building product that you can imagine, from caulk to um, polyurethane-like uh, coatings for for wood floors to um, uh, paints and all kinds of things that can be used. And they're they're a wonderful uh, company and and uh, are also a great resource of information. So when I have a question like that. I usually give them a call and, and see what uh, is available. All right, thanks. That's many pearls. I appreciate it. Now, you mentioned HEPA filters for the vacuum. I mm-hmm. am prescribing HEPA filters for home use all of the time. And, in fact, I periodically pick your brain on it. Um, and I know you recommend uh, IQ filter, which looks mm-hmm. air filter, which is absolutely beautiful. So I want you to talk about that. But it's pretty pricey, so I want you to talk about some alternatives as well. So. Tell us about HEPA filtration. Yeah, so there's so the HEPA um, aspect is really basically just just particulate matter, and so as, as we've been discussing, a lot of the problems are, are, are uh, volatile compounds that are kind of fit more into the solvent category that um, would not they would just go right through a HEPA filter, and so it's really important for a, a air filter to not only have the HEPA aspect for the particulate um, to filter out the dust that we mentioned earlier carries so much, but also to have a carbon block component that uh, uh, absorbs a lot of these chemicals. And uh, the IQ Air is, is the best of the best. It's Swiss made, and uh, there's really uh, no comparison to it. Um, there are other ones that we use, the uh, Blue Air and the Austin Air are other um, very good quality air filters. They don't have quite the... Uh, the umph that the the IQ air filters provide, but they are are good um, uh, as well to have in, in uh, on a room um, by room basis. And then for people that don't have uh, the the resources to to purchase one of these filters, it can then run anywhere from four to nine hundred dollars. Uh, there is a, a filter that that I commonly recommend, which is a Honeywell circular filter at uh, Home Depot and Lowe's uh, carry them, and as most home supply companies do, that you can uh, add on a carbon um, uh, filter on the outside of it. It's, it's very thin and, and uh, not anywhere near what you can get with these others, but it's it's certainly better than nothing. All right. That's so great. Thanks, Winston. Sure. So let me – so, you know, if for, our, for our reasonably healthy patients, for our, for our patients, you know, in, interested in prevention – the Honeywell mm-hmm. might be appropriate, whereas if somebody truly is suffering from um, a, a significant de- a, a significant burden of toxins and is you know really paying the consequences with what's going on, then you would move them towards you know the Swiss Air or the Austin. Is that could I, is that true? Is that safe to say? 
Yeah, yeah, I think I think the uh, the, the the downside about the, the filters like the Honeywell and really any any of them is is that they are in essence limited to the space that they are in. So while okay. they do have cubic feet ratings, um, ultimately the the best way for for your everyday individual to work on this is to get in uh, a filter installed in the HVAC unit that uh, has a, a MERV rating of 16 or higher, and that's basically the filters that are about six inches or more thick, as opposed to the little one inch or half inch thick filters that we most um, most commonly see. All right, that's that's extremely useful. I really appreciate that. Sure. Um, six. Okay, so a rating of six or higher, and that's a MERV. S- uh, Sixteen. Sixteen or higher. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. Uh, okay, so we're talking about some the home, and now I want to move into um, what we're going to do for the body. Uh, and it, unless there are any other aspects to clean living, to changes in the home, you want to mention? Oh, there's so many, and yeah. uh, I think I like yeah, I, I agree. I think we should talk about what we can do to help the individual. But I would just you know get the get the toxic chemicals out or the chemicals out of the house. All the chemicals are toxic, and get them into into a shed outside. Don't put them in the garage, the garage door, or at least if it's attached garage, you're going to be bringing all that stuff right in the house. Um, so do whatever you can. Hobby or hobbyists that are doing things in the basement or other parts of the house that are using glue guns or soldering. Uh, or, or painting, all of that stuff goes throughout the house. Even if you don't, uh, in essence, smell it, it still does go everywhere. So those would be big ones. But for the individual um, uh, working on the on the body, the, the the it can be very basic. And starting from from uh, things that we all have grown up hearing uh, at one point or another, to making sure that you're getting adequate hydration, getting water mm-hmm. throughout the day. Uh, ideally, we we typically recommend half your body weight in, in water. Um, excuse me, half your body weight in ounces of water a day. Uh, that may not be appropriate for everybody, but that's a, a, a general rule, and that's something that can help flush a lot of this stuff through the kidneys, through um, uh, the, the urinary system. The other thing is is to make sure that you've got fiber in your diet, whether that be added fiber such as uh, oat bran fiber and uh, rice bran fiber, uh, other types that, uh, or or things like the um, the fiber that's naturally found in food through roughage. Um, so, eating lots and lots of your your uh, leafy green vegetables, your salads, um, uh, other soluble fiber um, products, things like or, or items like avocados, all of those will help with binding and trapping and pulling out these toxins that we're all exposed to. The other thing is is making sure that you have the nutrients for the liver and the and the cells to do their job of, of detoxifying. They want to do it, and they can get taxed from the exposures, and so they can get depleted much easier these days. So that's why we see more uh, nutrient deficiencies than, than I, we probably did, as well as it's not as rich in the food as it once was. So uh, making sure that you're, you're eating uh, organic food. There was a study that just came out a few uh, days ago, yeah. I believe, on uh, going organic for a week or two and dramatically uh, reduce the amount of toxins in the body. Um, so that's, or I should say the pesticides. So that's that's a very simple thing. But also supplementing with uh, other specific items that are known to help with uh, aid with detoxification through production of glutathione or, or other aspects of the body's um, pathways, vitamin C, N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, glycine, 
probiotics have a profound impact on detoxification ability, um, which is not something we typically think of. Um, herbs that stimulate movement through the liver um, that are, are uh, things like dandelion root or, or turmeric or uh, picoriza, things that are uh, bitter foods. We, we've really gotten away from bitter in this country and uh, it, for understandable reasons, but uh, that bitter flavor is what stimulates the bile production uh, much more significantly than other flavors. And so using things like endive and uh, radicchio and um, artichoke, uh, the globe artichoke, um, uh, all of those are, are very easy ways to just change the diet and enhance um, detoxification and clearance through the system. Would my favorite green arugula qualify <laughs> as a bitter? Mine too, and uh, yes, it does. It's it's uh, it's it's technically I would put it more in the pungent category, which also uh-huh. has uh, its benefits. But um, yes, it, it does a lot of the chemicals, uh, the natural chemicals in there do do help with the uh, movement of bile too. Woohoo! Okay. Uh, all right. What else? So you mentioned a bunch of nutrients. People, you know, obviously, and we will give your contact information at the end, and of course, it will be printed on the website. Um, you know, with this podcast, but um, people can actually, and, and so if somebody needs to bump it up a bit, they can be in contact with you or, or they can be in contact with me, et cetera. But these are nutrients that people can grab over at, at the health food store, vitamin C and acetylcysteine, et cetera. So they can incorporate some of these things into their life. But really fundamentally, you're talking about eating healthy, eating organic, having, a, having adequate fiber, you know, adequate hydration, um, just great foundational stuff. Uh, you know, what if somebody is not a strict vegetarian here, like myself, because we're talking only about mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables thus far, and likes eating um, poultry, meat, dairy, etc.? Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one um, uh, because other animals are no different than us. They're exposed to a lot of these things uh, that we are as well through the um, the outdoor air. Uh, mercury is a is a well known uh, example that uh, produced by coal fire plants. It circles the globe many many times before it settles down. So uh, that's why we hear about problems from other countries affecting us, but. Uh, it gets into the food supply, so the animals are exposed to it as well. So we do typically, uh, when we're trying to do a, a, a significant or an aggressive detox uh, diet or, or protocol for a set period of time, weeks or, or, or months, we will encourage the patients to be vegetarian uh, or really vegan um, if, if possible and appropriate for their uh, diet. There are obviously individuals that, that that's not appropriate for, um, but the uh, that's one way to reduce it. Uh, also, of course, using organic um, mm-hmm. uh, products as much as possible. Uh, organic eggs are pretty uh, much uh, everywhere now, and, and just about anybody uh, can get them. To, um, the animal products uh, uh, in the form of meat uh, are also uh, increasing in availability in, in organic. Uh, of course, there's the problem with the cost aspect of it that uh, can uh, prevent a lot of individuals from uh, accessing that. And so just reducing the amount it can make a big difference. So going right. from a, um, you know, a, a piece of, of, of ham or, or turkey th- three times a day to once a day can, can right. make a significant difference. Right. Um, but then again, having that, having that fiber with those products uh, that will help bind up things um, to get them out of the body will also help too. Okay. All right. Well, you've been such a great uh, interviewee today. 
Uh, and I, I just appreciate your time. You've shared so much for both um, the clinician listening and wanting to improve what they're doing uh, in the environmental medicine arena, you know, as well as the patient or, you know, the regular person who might be, be listening today. So some basic things that they can do um, to support themselves in, um, you know, this unfortunate toxic world that we're living in. Uh, so it's been my pleasure to uh, be with you today. It's been a lot of fun, and I appreciate you having me, and I uh, look forward to doing it again. Thank you. Yes, I would love to pick your brain at some point regarding Chinese medicine and how you might think about some of these things from that perspective. Absolutely.